again, a very warm welcome to our Generation Podcast. And uh, my guest today is a dear friend of mine, Louise McMillan. Uh, Louise is married to Neil McMillan. Neil is a pastor in one of the church plants here in Edinburgh. And she is a mother of four. And she is a counsellor. Welcome, Louise. Thank you for having me, David. Okay, <laughs> good to have you here. You're looking a little bit nervous, and that's good. I like to keep you on your toes. So you are a mother, you're a counsellor, you're a Christian, you're a pastor's wife, many roles. Um, what's the most important of all these? Well, they all, they're all important, uh, but I suppose the being a Christian kind of flows into all of them. Uh, which roles did you say I have? Well, I'm yeah. quite interested to see. Okay, <laughs> you're a mother, you're yeah. a wife, you're a pastor's wife, yeah. you are a counsellor. Yeah. So each of these takes sort of precedence depending on what time of day it is, really. But being a Christian does sort of flow, seep into all of them as it has to. Just it affects every area of life. Right. We're always interested in the podcast here to hear how folk became a Christian. Um, I have to say that dramatic conversions are very rare. Um, were you the most reluctant convert in all Scotland or was it a more dramatic affair? No, I actually can't remember a time when yeah. uh, God wasn't highly significant in my life, even before I understood the gospel, which took quite a, You know, I was in my teens, I think, before I really understood the gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, but I still remember God being very significant in my life. Uh, Right. Even gospel is, is a great word. Um, do you understand the gospel? Well, I think I understand it probably a little better every day, and then I go back a bit. Uh, so, But what I was thinking of really was of grace, you know, sure. that I didn't really begin to understand that it was a free gift of grace and of life that Jesus was giving me. Uh, I think I probably, I did have a sense of the relationship between uh, the father and his children, but where Jesus came in, I wasn't that sure. Uh, a route to a, a safe eternity was probably what I thought uh, Jesus was for. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess your experience was quite similar to mine in that, you know, years ago, you know, when I was a child, I thought as a child that the gospel was the entry point into the Christian life. And I don't suppose I'm, I would say I'm recently discovering, but one of the great discoveries is that the values of the gospel and grace is more than the entry point. Did you have yeah. a similar journey? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, I think uh, somebody described it, I remember, like, used to think of the gospel as a sort of diving board into uh, into the Christian life, whereas... Actually, the gospel is the swimming pool of the Christian life. You're in there, you know, and you're growing and you're uh, changing and all the time. So uh, what did you say? That's what was a, your question, David? That's a great analysis. My, it wasn't really a question. <laughs> it was just talking I hear about the gospel being more than the entry yeah, level. Yeah, the gospel was yeah. something that we live all our lives. And your swimming pool analogy is exactly uh, right, and, and it's so helpful. Do you personally find it easy to talk about the gospel, to talk about Jesus? Yeah, I think I do. Actually, um, studying biblical counselling, which I am still doing, and uh, I started doing about probably 15 years ago, 
uh, has really helped me with that because it's helped me to apply the gospel and the Bible to my own life more specifically, to connect myself mm-hmm, with mm-hmm, Greece more specifically, to connect myself with the love of Jesus more specifically, with what's going on in my life, which in turn makes it much easier to share with people. So if I tell people that, you know, I'm struggling in an area or um, I'm anxious about something, you know, with the kids or whatever, uh, I can then equally share with them how God has met me in that anxiety and God has helped me, uh, you know, and prayer has helped me. So so I kind of tend to talk in the gospel of in personal terms rather than apologetic terms. So You tell your own story I, te- I tell my own story and the present story, what's actually going on in my life right here and now, rather than uh, talking about things in the abstract, uh, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I'm going to touch on some of these things later. You've, you've really given me a lot of fuel here to, to work on later. You mentioned earlier um, fatherhood. Now, I I met your father a couple of times. He was a very interesting character. He was a, he was a fisherman. He was a bard. He was a kind of amateur philosopher in many ways a real a real thinker can you tell us as you know you become an, an older person and we have more insight into our parents um as we grow older do you, do you think your, your father's philosophy of life was, was influential in, in your thinking yeah well i think actually probably both my parents philosophy I didn't of know life your mother yeah it was it were very influential in my life so neither of them were uh, what you would call in the free church sort of professing believers, although they both had faith. Uh, um, but what they were was really open and accepting people and hospitable people. So, you know, no matter who we, any of us were, um, one of five who we connected with when we were away at university or away doing whatever, and we, everybody brought people back. There was never any doubt that uh, these people would be made completely welcome. Uh, and that openness, I think, was something, you know, that both the, my mother and father did they, had. Did they both travel a bit? Yeah, in, well, my dad, actually, he was, uh, he was at sea, so he was in the Merchant Navy for a long, so he did travel, although that kind of put him off travelling forever. So yeah. wherever, wherever you, you were going to go, he would find some awful story to tell you about <laughs> it. So uh, it didn't actually matter. You know, he had been everywhere so, uh, and uh, could tell you exactly why you couldn't go there. New Zealand was the only place. New Zealand and Hawaii. Right. Neither of which I've ever been to were the only two places he was very positive about. So, okay, um, a bit of a Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Team there. So I think he probably had had a huge experience of uh, meeting lots of people. Uh, so, yeah, he was very open to hearing people's stories. Mm-hmm. So. You, you were raised in a very rural environment. It was a, a small island fishing village. Um, was was that a good experience for you? Yeah, it was a great experience, actually. I loved it. Uh, absolutely loved it. It was... What are the positives of, of rural living? Going out to get the cows in the evening, you know. Uh, the peasant lifestyle, I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Let them eat cake. It was, uh, yeah, it was really, it was, it was lovely. Uh, what was good about it? 
Everything. We used to play a game where you see how long you could lie on the road for before a car came. Okay. And it would be hours before yeah. a car would come. So uh, that was nice, you know. Um, what else was good? Um, it's just the freedom, I suppose. The freedom to roam. You know, it hasn't really changed that much over the years. It's depopulated slightly. But the part of Lewis I come from is not one of the tourist parts. So you're not inundated with the people coming, sightseeing or whatever. Uh, so it's still very, very quiet. And you can easily find uh, little spots where you can't see any evidence of human life, So, which is lovely. It's just the yeah. sea and the rocks. And uh, there's a lot of rocks, I have to say. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, you, you, you spoke about sharing your own story. Now, you know, I, I know that there's been, well, difficulties in, in your own life you've had health issues husbands had health issues your children's had health issues lots of stuff like that has that affected your faith do you ever say to god come on give me a break here you know not really uh, i think I, I had my first significant health issues when i was sort of eight or nine uh so I kind of grew up with it. And, you know, that was my first significant experience of God, I would say, uh, was I was really unwell and just kind of connecting with the fact that he loved me and was listening to my prayers was really meaningful for me. So there was never a time, in fact, uh, that I kind of questioned God or like that or said, come on, God. I mean, there may come the time that that happens, mm -hmm. uh, David, but uh, so far I've it's been far more God meeting me in those hard circumstances rather than me being angry or frustrated with these circumstances. Uh, you know, I'm sure there have been times when it's 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 got me quite low, but, you know, God and his grace has met me right there, you know, when uh, and just showed me that he was right beside me and... You know, that all that really matters is Christ at the end. It's not uh, even your health that matters. It's, uh, How important is, is keeping it real? I mean, very often in the kind of evangelical world, we hear folk with triumphant stories, you know, even in terms of healing and victory. And the picture is always of happy, smiling faces. You know, folk that have teeth that look as if they've just come out of orthodontist magazine and absolute amazing complexion. Please tell me that that's a put off for you and it's not real. Well, I actually don't come across that much, David. <laughs> so uh, it's, um, uh, you know, my experience is quite different. You know, uh, most people, if you actually ask them about their experience, won't gloss over the, you know, the hard detail of it uh, and, it, it's too difficult for them, actually. Uh, and it is off-putting because you've, you've, you know, that kind of glossy uh, look because you feel that you can never achieve it, that, you know, you're somehow a second-class Christian because you can't put that smile on or, uh, or look that good. Uh, and Jesus was real, wasn't he? Jesus was real, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. The, the picture we have in, in the Gospels. When, you, when I talk about Jesus... What do you think of? I mean, there'll be lots of different folk listening to our podcast today. So tell, tell, tell us, what do you think of when you think of Jesus? 
Yeah, I, I think of Jesus uh, as compassionate, you know, uh, and I, I always think of his compassion and how he, he got involved in the mess of people's lives, you know. He didn't avoid the difficult people like the woman at the well who, you know, was uh, such a scandal to be seen with her, uh, but he didn't avoid her. Uh, the woman, you know, who was bleeding, you know, again, very you know, the untouchable almost, uh, and he knew that she had touched him. So I, I like the way that uh, he got involved in the, the the mess of people's lives. And I, I like too the fact that he, he didn't get involved with everybody, but that uh, he withdrew sometimes. So he had to spend time um, resting and spending time with his father, fellowshipping with his father, uh, which even Jesus was limited. Uh, and I think sometimes we imagine that we're unlimited uh, in what we can do and achieve. Right. There, we can adopt, I think some folk call it a Messiah complex, thinking that we can redeem every situation. Yeah. Yeah. And we we can. can't. Not no. even you can do that. No, no. I have no illusions <laughs> about my abilities. Do you think if people heard about the real Jesus that he would be more compelling what I'm trying to say is out there in Scottish society do most folk know the real story probably not no I think they withdraw themselves they don't want to hear the real story because what they're afraid of is the the bigotry I suppose the prejudice that they imagine comes along with Christianity and to a certain extent that's the way we've presented ourselves as bigots prejudiced bigots so it's easy for people to think that we're not compassionate and that uh, maybe sometimes people think that Christians and Jesus are you know very they're not alike, you know, mm -hmm. maybe Jesus was a compassionate guy, but Christians certainly aren't. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think, yeah, that's probably true of many people uh, in society. So they don't come near church because they feel that all they're going to get is uh, told off or mm -hmm. uh, they're going to hear things that are full of bigotry. Are folk going to be told off in church? Well, not in my church, I don't think. Uh, or not in our church, David. So no, nobody's ever going to be challenged? They're going to be challenged, which is very different from being told off. Uh, of course they're going to be challenged, uh, yeah. But hopefully they're tell, going Tell to me the difference. I'm, I'm intrigued about this. I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, when, when our, our kids were young, you know, uh, they would want yogurt and they would say, I don't want any bits, you know, and <laughs> sometimes preaching churches like that, we don't like the bits, but there are bits, aren't there? There are little things, angular things that yeah. make us think. So what's the difference between being told off and being challenged? Yeah, I think being told off is far, it's a behavioural thing. Uh, it's about what you look like on the outside, whereas the... Being challenged is gospel that goes directly to the heart and it's, it looks for a much, much deeper change and it's far more connected with Jesus than, I mean, we can all adapt our behaviour, we can all stop doing things. It doesn't mean that our hearts have changed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think the true challenge comes when uh, 
we're compelled by the love of Jesus to do things differently and to think differently and to be more sacrificial in the way we live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think that's a major one for people in Edinburgh mm-hmm. is living sacrificially. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. people in this city are very well off and and I think that's one of the biggest challenges that uh, we have as uh, as churches uh, to challenge people's hearts on that. Is- as we read the Gospels, do you see a pattern or in, in the way or the type of people whom Jesus challenged? Did he speak in a different way to a different set of people? Well, he absolutely did, yeah. He spoke, uh, the only people he was really critical of were the Pharisees, yeah. the church people. Yeah. So they were the ones that he, he rebuked and uh, he had very strong language for and pretty much everybody else. He, he was very, very gentle and soft and welcoming and uh, compassionate towards. Although, you know, in some circles it's a bit of a cliché, there's an element of truth to say that he comforted the afflicted and he afflicted the comfortable. Do you think there's mileage in that well, cliché? I think there probably is. And I, I think probably the we're the, uh, we're the comfortable, you mm-hmm. know, and I think we're the Pharisees. So mm-hmm. I don't see myself, uh, I see myself as a Pharisee sometimes, you mm-hmm. know. Often, uh, you know, I'm I'm judgmental in what I think and... Uh, I'm exactly like them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I have this inner lawyer that's always arguing for my defence, and I, I don't know, I think I, I pay him too much because he's got some pretty rubbish arguments. <laughs> so sometimes you just got to, th- you know, defending your ego, defending your pride, you just got to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, have mercy yeah. uh, upon me. Yeah. yeah. Now, I know that one of your interests and passions is counselling. You sort of started thinking and training about it about 15 years ago. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the counselling thing. Okay, so as you said at the beginning, I'm married to a pastor and we were in Kirkcaldy in Fife and we were there 16 years. Uh, We moved to Edinburgh and actually can't remember, 2010 I think it was, so that's nine years ago. Um, and I used to have a, a lot of people come and sit at my kitchen table and pour their heart out to me and uh, wait for me as the pastor's wife to say something. And I really found I didn't have much to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I And I was getting, you know, I mean, I had been a Christian say, a long time, so it wasn't as if I, I didn't know uh, my faith or I thought I knew my face, uh, but I felt that I was kind of taking things from magazines, a little bit of Oprah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then kind of um, putting a wee Bible verse over the top and then a wee prayer and hope for the best, you know. And uh, actually, more and more, I was very frustrated with that. And I'd done a few counselling courses, like things on listening well and uh uh, things like that and you know they were quite good on these skills of, of listening but it didn't really give me an idea of where to go if I, I thought oh there's a question I should ask do you know sometimes you're thinking actually I think I probably know what's going on with this person but I don't quite know what to do with the answer so I'm not going to ask the question so I was very much like that uh, I would think well this person I can see wh- where I need to go with them but 
because I don't know what to do with the answer, I'm not going to ask the question. So, And then a friend of mine uh, actually went back to, they'd been with us for four years, went back to the States and she started studying with CCEF in Philadelphia. And she... Um, Tell us what CCEF It's the Christian Counselling Education Foundation and it's kind of next door to Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And... Uh, she started studying with them and she started nagging me uh, that I had to do this course, uh, with, which, which was taught by a guy called David Powelson. And uh, she nagged me and nagged me and nagged me until I did it. Uh, and I did it and uh, I just kept on going. So that was the first module. So, And what I found when I did that first module was that it wasn't really counselling. It wasn't other people that were mm-hmm. being changed. It was myself that was being changed. Sure. And it was... Uh, you know, one of the things they get you to do is um, a sin and grace project and look at sin in your own life. And to be honest, you know, I hadn't really, you know, I'd kind of prayed for change and hoped for the best, you know, and, you know, asked the Holy Spirit to change me. But I hadn't really thought about it on a sort of granular level. You know, why do I do the things that I do? Why do I get angry with my kids? I hadn't really thought you know, what does change really look like? Uh, I knew what I wanted to be like and I knew what I was like, right. but I didn't know how to get so from me to be. So you had to go right upstream to the very roots. Had to give very, and it's, you know, James it's James 4 that talks about the desires of our heart, uh, you know, and I, it was very much thinking, well, what do I want in this uh, in this situation? What am I wanting in these circumstances? And finding out actually that my own heart was uglier than I ever thought, you know. Uh, and that comfort was a big thing for me, um, you know, still is. So that's how I got into counselling. And, you know, I kept on studying without really pursuing counselling because it was actually uh, enriching my life, yeah. enriching my life as a Christian. And then when we moved here, uh, we were in St. Columbus Church and uh, under the auspices of Derek that's and the elders. City Centre Church. City right Centre Church in Edinburgh. In Edinburgh. Uh, we moved to Edinburgh and Derek started saying, would you meet with this person? And that's really how my counselling okay. experience began. Can you tell us, what do you think, what are the elements of a good counsellor? Elements of a good counsellor? <sighs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about somebody else other than me then. Okay. So David Powlison, who uh, was... Director, executive director of CCEF in Philadelphia, died just in May there. By the way, folks, if you you should check out David Powlison, he's all over YouTube. Have a look at his stuff there. It's great. He's got a really good book called Good and Angry. So, okay, with that little sidebar over, Louise, continue. <laughs> David Powlison, uh, when I listened to him uh, Teaching, I was just struck by the the beauty of his faith and his humility. And then when I met him, I was struck by the beauty of his mm-hmm. faith and his humility. And I think it was sort of walking the talk, I suppose. Yep. You know, I didn't see any contradiction between what he taught and the way he was. You know, it was just completely humble uh, and... You know, that was, it's actually a disarming thing to see. So humility, I would say, is, uh, you know, that there's a sort of wanting to learn from you rather yeah. than thinking I'm the expert. So uh, coming alongside and saying, actually, I have 
I'm not that different from you, okay? I struggle with lots of things in my life. So is there vulnerability in counselling? Because there's a school of thought which would say that you are objective and separate from the counsellee. Uh, so... Yeah, I think in, in uh, it's biblical counselling that I do. Okay. So, you know, uh, I can only talk about that. So um, uh, it would definitely not be like that. It would be far more, we're in this together. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it would be about showing Jesus's love, Jesus's yep. compassion, and humbly listening to yep. somebody. Although even in secular counselling, you know, there's a, an emphasis on what's called use of self, uh, that you do use yourself as, as a tool in mm -hmm. the counselling session. Listening is, how important is listening? Listen, well, I mean, listening is at the foundation of humility. You know, it's like saying, I don't know everything about you. You know, uh, I may think I know everything about you. I may make assumptions about you, but if I listen well, I'll actually, you know, I'm, I'm showing you that I want to know you uh, and that I don't know everything about you. So listening well is is key uh, and asking good questions. I do facilitation. It's one of the things that I get training in. And uh, a facilitator is supposed to be, you know, standing outside the process. And they're always saying to us, don't try to fix it. Mm -hmm. Isn't, is there a similar thing in, in counselling? There absolutely uh, is. Are, are you a fixer? I am. I've learned not to be a fixer. Yeah. I absolutely hard, was a fixer, it? but uh, and that's. I teach counselling as well, uh, uh, training, do training for uh, people, uh, and that's. I see the students again and again go back to giving advice mm -hmm. and try to fix it. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I'm like, oh, really? You know. <laughs> so, so uh, I mean, advice giving, unless somebody specifically asks for it, people really aren't looking for advice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it kind of creates a division because you the person you're giving the advice to has a choice to either reject it or or go with it. And if you reject it, then you're kind of alienating the person who gave you the advice in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, most people don't want, uh, they just want to be heard and mm -hmm. understood and a lot of the time just prayed for. Sure. Yeah. You know, I talk to GPs and GPs say that so much of their time is just listening to people. Yeah. And do you think it's a sad indictment in the church or of the church that there's this growing interest in therapies of various ways, mentoring, coaching, counselling? What, what's it saying about us? Um, that we value friendship, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. And that we value good relationships where we are challenged and uh, connected with on a deeper level, uh, which I don't think is a bad thing. Yeah, you know? I, I agree with you. Some folk would say that, you know, in the past it happened naturally. Uh, you know, I, I was raised in a, partly in a council estate in, in Paisley, partly in a Croft and Skye. Um, in, in both contexts, you know, neighbours would come in uh, you know, in, in Paisley, the neighbour would come in and yarn and talk. You know, some folk look to that past, was that a bit of a mythology? And they would say, we didn't need counselling in those days, we would just talk. Mm -hmm. 
I don't have, I don't see the path to rose-tinted glasses. So uh, I don't know, uh, is the honest answer to that. Um, I think people are probably more isolated now uh, than they've ever been. And um, yeah, maybe the sense of community is going, but uh, I, I think it's actually quite refreshing that people are mm-hmm. more willing to to talk about the deep things uh, with people. Yeah, I mean, in my world as a pastor, one of the things that we're doing is encouraging coaching, um, encouraging mentors. I can't, I can't understand why folk would turn down the opportunity to talk to folk about stuff, maybe professional stuff or personal stuff. You're, you're more sensitive than I am. Can you understand why folk just wouldn't submit themselves to that. I can understand it, but I don't think it's right. <laughs> you know, I think it's, you know, we're, as, you know, if you look at the Do you church, have a mentor? Do you, do you have someone that speaks into your I life? I have actually, I've got several. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not one person actually, uh, but several. So in my counselling field, I have quite a lot of people that I can go to uh, and who look out for me, which is really helpful. Uh, but on why do people not want to uh, be coached or mentored? I think uh, accountability is hard. Uh, you know, it asks things of you and that's quite difficult. Uh, and I think sometimes we um, we don't, you know, I think sometimes when we're overwhelmed, we prioritise the wrong things. When we're too busy, we prioritise the wrong things. So probably people think it would just be another Mm -hmm, thing mm -hmm. to add into my life Mm -hmm. without actually realising that this is something that would help. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. so they probably aren't aware of the helpfulness. Mm -hmm. But what I was going to say was, you know, that we're all part of the body and we all need one another, you know, uh, so I don't like to look at the church as a group of individuals, but... You know, we're part of a community, part of a body, we're family. Mm-hmm. We all need one another. Mm-hmm. So so we should all be in some kind of relationship that that gives us accountability, encouragement, coaching, whatever you will, challenge mm-hmm. uh, in a loving um, environment, mm-hmm. in a loving, caring environment. That's how we grow as Christians. Mm-hmm. So the idea of coaching is just adding that kind of level of expertise to it that you know, I'll help you achieve this or, uh, you know, in counselling, it's it's far more, I'll help you explore this and connect it to, to what God is looking for or what God is saying. Just to move on, uh, I'm going to try and uh, extract a free counselling session out of you here. A um, couple of issues that really intrigue me, I wonder if you could comment on them. We spoke of Perlinson's great book, Good and Angry, um, can you just tell us, is there a place for anger in our life? What is good anger and what is bad anger in 30 seconds? Uh, I'm only kidding. 30 seconds. Well, if you've read the book, David, you know the answers, don't you? Uh, there's very little place for anger in our lives. Uh, yeah, uh, I think, I, mean, I don't know, you know, I'm sure 98% of our anger is not righteous anger. It's destructive, yeah. It's destructive. It's not constructive. Uh you know, if you look at Jesus' own life, uh, the anger, the only anger that we really see him uh, 
is displaying is when, you know, he upturned the, Turned the tables. Yeah. The tables. Ah, you know, actually, I've heard people say that when he wept at Lazarus' death, that that was a form of anger as well. Snorting of a horse is a kind yeah, of classic that, translation. Yeah, yeah that uh, he was angry at death, yeah. you know. And these were not anything to do with himself, but about his father's glory. So, uh, so you know, anger is rarely constructive. Rarely, rarely constructive. Almost never, yeah. Almost never. And yet we all get angry every day, probably. Uh, you know, that's so interesting that when uh, you go through that book, you find you have an anger problem when you didn't think you had an anger problem. Mm-hmm. And you think irritation, frustration, all these things are actually anger. Uh and when we look, you know, like I was saying uh, earlier, you know, at the, what does that reveal about what's going on in our own hearts? It's usually a desire for something that's quite ungodly. That's not, you know, it's for peace or comfort or control. Things like that become what we, what we want uh, and that takes over. So if anger is something that we struggle with, it would really pay is just to sit down first of all with ourselves and then with someone else and just talk about this and attempt to eradicate it from our lives yeah absolutely although uh as somebody oh, there's a great article called the angry person is the last to know uh so often the angry person is just so consumed with their own rightness uh, yeah. that they don't see their anger as a problem. Uh, it's other people around them uh, that see their anger as a problem because they probably dance around them and, you know, walk on eggshells around them. Uh, and so self-awareness is a terrific personal value to have. Absolutely, absolutely. And that comes from the Holy Spirit, uh, that self-awareness, you know, that conviction of sin uh, comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Can you do biblical counselling with folk who don't buy into a Christian worldview? Yeah, that's a really good question. Not that your other questions weren't good, (laughs) (laughs) David, but yes, you can. And I am. Um, uh, You can, because it's to do with the way we were created. It's to do with the fact that all of us, whether we're believers or not, are living before God and we're imaging God, whether we're imaging him with a marred image or being transformed into Christ-likeness, we're all uh, made in the image of God. Would you be upfront with a counsellee that this is the direction you were coming from? Yeah, well, I mean, everybody knows if they come to me that that's what they get. So, uh, yeah, they would. would Is there an end to counselling? In other words, would you stay with one client for years or is there a point you would say, I think we're over here? Most counselling comes to a natural conclusion. Yeah, you know that the person has moved on and their their life has hopefully... Trump- right, no, that's a really good yeah. point that there's a natural conclusion. Yeah, but some people actually, though, you know, if, if somebody's got chronic depression, for instance, you may yeah. end up meeting with them for years. Yeah. Yeah, and that could be a, a kind of just ongoing... Relationship. And depression would require a kind of multidisciplinary approach with medicine, counselling, possibly psychiat- psychiatric help. It's yeah, it well, is. most of the people I see with uh, who are going through depression have already been to see their GP. Mm-hmm. And I would always encourage them to go back again and again just mm-hmm. to make sure their meds are, are exactly right for them. Mm-hmm. And, 
yeah, I would also want their churches to be supporting them, uh, not just the medical establishment, but their churches as well coming around them and knowing exactly what was happening in their lives. Uh, and, you know, I would also push, you know, it's hard to see a psychiatrist actually, so, but I would maybe get them to push for a psychiatric evaluation if that was necessary as well, yeah. Mm. Well, I'm interested also, indeed I was thinking about it this morning, the whole idea of, of closure. Mm -hmm. um, when do things come, when do you ever move on from something, you know, you can apply this perhaps to a relationship breakdown, you can apply it to a death in, in a bereavement situation. How do you achieve closure? Um, I don't know if that's a thing, actually, closure. I think it's something we've invented so that we can see, we can imagine there's an end point. And then I think for a lot of people, if it's a difficult grief, there is no real end point. You know, and I think people pretend that there is yep. so that uh, people won't be uncomfortable around them. Uh, but, you know, I think if a significant person, if you lose a child, for instance, that's just yeah. never going to go away. That's so helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're, um, it's, it, it's never, you know, you're going to learn to work around it, but it's never really going to go away. Uh, so things like that, you know, I think closure is just, it's, it's, it's an invention. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and other things that maybe you would seek to have something like closure over might be to do with forgiveness, you know, and uh, developing a, you know, an attitude of forgiveness so towards people. So an attempt to closure is good in some areas. You know, closure then, I love your insight that it's not necessarily a thing, that's not a point. Uh, sometimes there's clearly a, a diminishing of the pain but like in forgiveness, sometimes, you know, we've got to move on. Although Jesus says, well, even there, you know, it's 70 times 7. Forgiveness is, is a bit of a battle. Forgiveness is a bit of a battle. And it doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. But uh, I think without forgiveness, we can become bitter. And uh, that's certainly not godly. Uh, so we always need to be, you know, if we have a disagreement with somebody and maybe it means a severing of relationship, um, we need to be working towards forgiveness and that has to be high on our agenda. Yeah. Bitterness, that, isn't that a strong word? Um, that's not where we want to be, is it? No, uh, it's it corrodes our insides, does bitterness. So it it just makes everything difficult. But uh, people do experience bitterness. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you get out of bitterness? By learning to to take your eyes off yourself and put them on Jesus. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, is you know like most of things in the Christian life, it's about taking our eyes off ourselves and fixing them on Jesus, and you know realizing that Jesus has forgiven us for a whole lot more, uh, and being able to extend grace in whatever form to whoever we're bitter towards. So again, it's the gospel, it's the cross, it's forgiveness. It's appropriating these things to ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, Louise, thank you. We have covered uh, a lot of ground here. And uh, thank you for being vulnerable and for being honest. It's great to have 
another woman in the podcast. Um, we're, we're not into fake you, you news You didn't here. ask me if I was a feminist or not. So well, you you asked Katrina that. I, I, so. I'm, not, I'm not interested <laughs> in whether you're a feminist or not. It's irrelevant. Yeah, it was great to have Katrina on a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Uh, in the interest of accuracy, I did say that Katrina was the first columnist in the record. Now, our letters pages have been filled with folk to say, that's not true. Remember Anne Urquhart, she wrote, in Dayspring, she still writes. So our readership, our listenership have spoken and we are glad to say that Katrina is in a, a great line of worthy lady columnists uh, to the record. Louise and all the other ladies out there, thank you for who you all are, for what you all do. And that together, men and women, black and white, whoever we are, we celebrate the gospel together. Thank you. Thank you.